I don't need the news. I don't want to pay attention to the news. It's out there. It's, it's not important to me. But what I soon realized is there are so many things that are happening on a daily basis that are driving how our economy works and how people actually think and how people are functioning amongst each other that it's very important to study it. Not in the form of an academic study, but just paying attention. So many things happen in the current that are driven by what we do today. And a lot of times there are certain things that I agree with and then there's a lot of things that I question or disagree with. And I never used to think that way because it's so easy for us to hear, okay, we're in a presidential election and X, Y, and Z said so-and-so. And all of a sudden everyone is out talking about what they just heard on the news. The question that I ask is how factual is that statement and what's the point of reference? And why is that even important? Helping people build ambitious and satisfying careers, businesses, and lives. This is the Influence Ecology Podcast. Now, here is your host, John Patterson. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, wherever you are in the world. I'm your host, John Patterson, the co-founder and CEO of Influence Ecology, the leading business education in transactional competence, an ability that gives people a superior advantage in meeting their aims. Broadcasting from Ojai, California, this podcast features case studies, stories, and lessons from business owners, executives, and entrepreneurs who found real solutions, real results, and real satisfaction, not only with work, career, and money, but in every area of life. You'll hear how these ambitious professionals found that those who transact powerfully thrive. Today's feature is an interview with Peter Burgraff, the Vice President of Business Development at Q2 Business Capital in Chicago, Illinois. He helps small business owners get the financing they need. Peter, like many people in early life, got sold on the idea from self-help books and traditional mantras that if you just work hard, everything will turn out fine. He was young, had a ton of debt, and no way of getting out of it. He had some big goals and didn't want to wait 25 years to move up to a position that might provide the income he needs to support his family. He began to develop his transactional competence and now in his mid-30s, he's not only satisfied some rather lofty financial aims, but he's also newly married, a new homeowner, a first-time father, and debt-free or close to it last I spoke to him. After the break, we'll hear co-founder Kirkland Tibbles talk about how we're all sold on ideas that are ultimately not going to help us satisfy our aims. Peter, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you for having me. You want to say a little bit more about yourself? Sure. I started my career about 16 years ago. Started as a teller at a bank, working in, in high school and thinking it was a great idea at the time and never thought I'd make a career out of it. And 16 years later, here I am. I'm still in banking, moving up, enjoying what I do. That's great. What I loved most about all of your notes is this thing about, you know, work hard and the rest will follow. And that particular mantra, it's so popular. How come this is so wrong? <laughs> Early in my career, even before my career started, my father came from, from Poland in uh, the late 70s. And his background has always been just work hard and it will all pay off. And, and he was right. He absolutely was right. But to pay off to what extent? That was the question that I've never seemed to, to have an accurate answer for, thinking that it was just going to work out. And early in my career, working in, in a corporate environment, individuals telling me, hey, just, just keep doing what you're doing get more sales. You're going to do great. Don't worry. We're going to take care of you one day, someday. So I, I worked in the hours. I was working 60, 70 hours a week. And, and all of a sudden I realized I wasn't going anywhere, <laughs> but yet I was putting in the hours. Mm. And over the years, I started to recognize that the current offer that I was in, no matter how hard I worked, no matter to what level I achieved, would never satisfy my aims that I put out for myself. And that's when I actually started recognizing that I need to start looking at things very differently. So you started working with Influence Ecology, was it seven years ago, I think? End of 2010, we'll say. Can you tell us a little bit about your accomplishments in these last five years? Yeah, of course. Probably my first year, I'll never forget my first year in the business. I was, um, I should say, 
first year prior to joining Influence Ecology, I booked about a half a million dollars worth of business in my offer. And uh, I was so thrilled. I was like, my first year, half a million dollars. This is great. And I'll never forget at the end of the year, one of the, um, the senior vice presidents in the company came up to me. He's like, hey, listen, that's great that you think you did half a million dollars, but your goal is to do three million. I go, what? <laughs> I was like, wait, what are, you, what are you talking about? And at that moment, it was kind of, uh, and that was right at the pivoting time where I started studying with Influence Ecology. And I said, okay, if I'm, if I'm going to do this, let me take what I'm learning here and try to, make, and try to incorporate with, with my offer. And the first full year of studying, I, I ended up doing about three, four million dollars in production the next year. The year after that, you know, I think I did somewhere around uh, seven or eight million dollars. Uh, most recently, I've been averaging, you know, in total production around 20 to 22 million dollars a year. And, and that's kind of where I'd like to play to in between 20 and 30 million dollars a year. And now, in an offer that I actually see this possible, it's, it's very achievable for me. It, it didn't happen overnight. That, I will say that it was it was a lot of work, a lot of dedication, a lot of study, and I see a pathway now to you know doing twenty thirty million dollars a year in production, and um, and constantly. It's not like it's just going to be a one off thing. I, I see a pathway to do that uh, year over year. What did you first learn about the trajectory you were on? This is such a great question. I think er, early on, I was under the impression, and and I, I remember specifically working with Kirkland Tibbles. And he came up to me and he just basically said, what you're doing right now, they're taking advantage of you and you have no idea. And I said, ah, you don't know what you're talking about. I need to be the generalist. I need to be able to offer all products to all clients, all types. It, it's just the way this industry works. And the moment that I started questioning that thinking is when things started to open up in my career. And I started questioning, well, why don't I specialize in one area? Why don't I focus down? And I'll never forget, I had a conversation with uh, some of my management. They explicitly told me, nope, you don't want to do that. You want to be the broad generalist. Trust me, you want to offer everything to everyone. And you'll see, it's going to benefit you in the long run. Soon did I realize that the moment that I began to narrow down my focus and start to just make one offer and one specific offer, in my transaction, it was like a game changer for me. And it was very hard. It was very hard for me to transition into that role because I was always under the impression, let me offer everything, let me do everything, let me be the guy, the go-to person, I'll help no matter what it takes, no matter what the opportunity may be, I will help with everything. And early on in my career, or I should say starting with Influence Ecology, Kirkland tapped me on the shoulder and said, hey, you need to try something different. And I was like, can't do it, can't do it. And he actually threatened to kick me out of the program. I didn't want to lose this opportunity. So I actually went in and I was working on, a, on an offer with a specific client. We were in negotiations on trying to do a deal and it was going back and forth for a few weeks. And, and Kirkman just basically said, hey, listen, we're going to teach you some education here. Why don't you go try it out, see if it works and come back and just tell me what happens. I was sitting down in front of my email. I, I drafted up a nice letter. I even called my sister who, who happens to study with us and I said, hey, this is what I'm typing up. What do you think? Do you think I should change this around? I was so nervous. I couldn't even send the email. Finally, when I, when I had the courage to do so, which I know sounds so silly, there was a point in time where my biology was going off and I was like, I can't do this. And I finally, I sent the email and I, I told the client, I said, listen, we've been in consideration about this transaction for so many weeks now and we haven't heard from you. If we don't hear from you by Friday, we're, we're just going to go ahead and move on. And, and it was in, in my specific offer. And I'll never forget Friday rolls around and I didn't hear anything at five o'clock. And I just responded nicely and I said, listen, hey, thanks again for your consideration. We're just going to go ahead and assume that you're not interested. We're going to part ways. I think it was five minutes later, I get an email back. Yeah, yeah, you know, this isn't a good idea. Let's, let's just go ahead and move on. In that moment, I knew that Influence Ecology was up to something. And I, I said, that's it. I'm, I'm throwing my hat over and I'm, whatever they tell me, I'm just going to practice and try and, and get out there and play with it. And as a result of that, the working hard actually started to open up for me and started saying, okay, well, I've been trying so hard to close so many deals and I had to hit my goals and my quotas that I actually realized there was an easier way to get there. It was by focusing down and having one specific transaction in the marketplace that would allow me to satisfy my aims. And it really was specific in owner-occupied commercial real estate transactions. And I had a lot of success early on in my career. 
it was it was actually uh, very impressive. So let's just go back for a second. It sounds like in the very beginning, you you began to confront some of the ways that you were taught or what you had heard, uh, the things that people say. You had some of these first lessons. Were there other kinds of lessons early on? I'm kind of imagining what might have gone on in your head during those times, especially when there are counterintuitive notions. Much of what we teach might be counterintuitive, and then you go try them, they work. What was going on in your head about some of these different approaches uh, opposed to what you learned? Well, let me tell you, it was a little scary place. It really was because for so many years, I'll never forget early in my career, someone told me, don't pressure a customer. The customer's always right. It's not that they're not right, but sometimes the customer just needs to push to get a response. And it's not the response that you want to get a yes. It's just a response. Because a lot of times I was sitting in limbo waiting for the customers to respond back to me and I never, never heard back from them. And I would waste time, energy, income for my family to take care of my conditions of life. For many years, it was just slow down, don't worry. And it was as simple as questioning all these things that I learned early in my career, ways of sitting back and waiting. One day something will turn out and boy was I wrong about that. Still to this day, just because I was raised that way and I was brought up in a specific manner where I always thought that that was the accurate way of, of handling a transaction, it still sometimes comes back. I still to this day have to remind myself, okay, wait, where are you in the transaction cycle? What do we need to do? How can we move this along? Is this a dead deal? Is this not a dead deal? Or whatever it may be. <laughs> That's that, It's still to this day, I still have some of the old thoughts. As a habit, I kind of remind myself like, okay, it's just a game. Let's just get out there and, and play and see what we could get. And it's been working out ever since. So tell us a little bit about what's happened since then. So you started with us in 2010. It's 2016. Are you about to turn 34 or 35? Yes, I'll be turning 34 in less than a week. 34. You began studying with us at age of 28. Is that right? Right around 27, 27, 28. And when you had started with us, you were in one particular situation, and now life is very different. Very, very different. Yes, it is. Can you tell us what's happened in the last years? When I first started, I was in a particular place in my life where the income that I was making, at the time, I thought it was sufficient. I was like, wow, this is great. I'm 27 years old, making good money, which I thought at the time was good money. And then all of a sudden, reality hit me. And I was like, wait a second, I'm, I'm not going to ever hit my goals <laughs> with the money that I was making. And I had a, a bunch of credit card debt and I had a bunch of automobile debt and not having any money saved up. I was constant battle of just, you know, spending and not saving and, and vice versa. And, and all of a sudden I just was started realizing like, what's going on? Why, why am I not saving any money? Like, why am I spending this? And yeah, I'm having a great time doing it, but I'm never going to hit these goals. So that was really early on in my career. And, and what I started recognizing was it wasn't that my habits were off. It was actually just the income wasn't enough. And I started recognizing like I'll, I'll never achieve the aims that I need to going down the path that I was that I was going down. So I, I actually started doing a little bit of research and, okay, well, where can I shift my career in banking? Being in banking for 16 years, I, I never realized that there was a whole nother world to it. And, and the only reason why I realized it was there is because Influence Ecology and, and other people were like, hey, there's, there's a, you know, what do you like to do? And I really liked working with business owners. And that was really kind of where I uh, started shifting my, my thinking process in that and, and started realizing, okay, here's an offer that I could potentially hit my aims and, and get to where I need to, to be successful in life. Five, six years later, I own my own home, have a beautiful family, saving money, putting money away for retirement. I don't have any credit card debt, and if I do use it, I just pay it off every month. You know, money's not an issue like it used to be. You know, my wife and I, we get to travel. We, we kind of do the things that we enjoy doing. Am I a millionaire? No. Do I see a pathway to get there? Sure. Sure, I, I could see that opportunity for myself in the future, but it's also going to take work to get there. It's really great. Well, you, you spoke about a couple of different things. Uh, let's talk about the world of sales for just a moment, because I think this might be a good opportunity for those who are in the professional sales roles to 
learn some things from you. So if you would speak to the the sales-minded professionals and tell them a little bit about what you've learned here and how it might help them. Sure. <laughs> well, if they really want to learn, they'll, they'll sign up for Fundamentals of Transaction because there's just too much to talk about. I, I guess for me in a sales role, especially in a service industry, the one thing that I will say that really started changing the way I, I started doing deals or, or handling transactions was when I worked with clients or I was making my initial pitch, when I made my initial invitation and into a presentation, I actually put a deadline on it. I provide clients enough time to review the terms and the conditions of what we're about to get into have them review that and get back to me within a timely manner. And I do that because not because I'm trying to get them as a sales tactic or try to get them to do business with me. I do that because at one point in time, the longer I wait, the slower I am going to hit my goals. Fortunately, I'm still young enough where I have a little bit more time, but I don't know what this world holds. And, and for me, it's about getting enough transactions completed. I don't need all of them. But getting enough transaction completed to satisfy my aims, what I'm trying to do on an annual basis, on a monthly basis, and even on a long-term basis. I know I jumped around a little, but really it was, what can I do to speed things up? And I don't always look for a yes. I don't need the yes every single time. I tell every client or center of influence or person or referral source of mine that I work with, hey, this may not be a good fit. We may not be able to work together. But give me an opportunity. Let me tell you if I feel we could do it. And if it works, great. If it doesn't, I'll tell you. I don't want to waste your time nor my time. That was the hardest thing for me to do in the beginning stages because I wanted to do it all. I didn't want to, they didn't need to go anywhere else. I was the go-to person. <laughs> and that's that's a little bit of the naivete I brought it initially early on in, in my career when I started because of who I was and, and where I was at. And what I realize now is I have a very specific type of customer, a very specific type of offer in the marketplace. And I have a very, very specific type of client that I go after. I'm starting to recognize the more focused and the more narrow that I have become, it is able for people to start looking for myself versus me trying to go out and solicit new business. If you'd like to decode the mysteries of an ambitious life, you can register for the Influence Ecology webinar called Ambitious Living, The Eight Defining Principles. This free one-hour webinar offers eight principles practiced by the most successful and effective men and women we know. To give you a taste, here's one of the principles. It's called accurate thinking. The essential idea is this, you and I are always transacting to produce a better income, influential identity, and satisfying work. These situations, money, career, and work, are but three of 14 unavoidable conditions of life. If you don't think accurately about these conditions and how you'll satisfy each of them, you will likely produce hardship for yourself and your family. So how do you think accurately about these and other conditions of life? Attend the webinar to find out more. Once registered, you'll receive the 2016 edition of Ambitious Living, a 12-page guide offering a blueprint for the eight defining principles, each of which asks important questions to help direct your aims. To learn more, you can find the link in the show notes for this podcast at influenceecology.com forward slash podcast, or from your mobile phone, you can click the image art for this episode to find a link to register. Okay, back to the show. If I were to ask you your top three lessons for a salesperson, given what you've learned here, if you want to get to give three tips to somebody listening to this, what, what might your three tips be? What can I do today to increase my sales tomorrow? What are like top three things you think? Number one, know your offer inside and out. And when I say your offer, I mean know everything about it. What are the nuances? What, what differenti differentiates you from your clients, from your, from your competition, from whoever it may be? Know that offer like it's if you walk into a room, 
and you were talking to five people and out of those five people, you hear someone speak your offer, that's who you go after. That's tip number one. Number two, know who your clients are. And when I say that, I mean really know who, specify that, narrow it down, get it down to the point where you can walk in and you could share with a hundred people who your client is. And every time that they hear that type of client, they're going to say, hey, Peter's my guy. I'm going to call Peter because he told me that that's what he could do. And number three, be ready for the unexpected. I could say doing this, this education now for five years, I have probably reinvented my offer hundreds of times. And not to the point where I have to completely reinvent it, but just knowing it where I could just go in, tweak a couple things, write down notes, this worked, this didn't work. Hey, the next go around, I'm going to go try this move. This didn't work. Just constantly, constantly improving your process just to kind of speed it up. And I don't think I'll ever stop doing that. That's one thing that I will say that we live in an ever-changing dynamic environment and you better be on top of your game and, and have fun with it. I mean, this is really why I got into and what I do what I do because I have so much fun meeting new clients, going out and talking new business. And when I have that down, people know that they can do business with me and they can trust me. Let's, uh, let's shift focus here for, you said something about the customer is not always right. And that notion, because that's, I think that's posted on all kinds of walls and it's a mantra and people teach that and, you know, the customer is always right. Talk a little bit about that. Uh, sure. The customer, when I say the customer is not always right, the customer is not always right. <laughs> well, we teach that too. What did you, what did you learn about that? I get into conversations or dialogues with customers who think that they know exactly what they're looking for. And the moment that I start digging into the file, the moment that I start assessing and questioning and looking at what they're doing and what they're not doing, or what they may be thinking that they need, I propose to them the solution that they usually are looking for and they have no idea that it exists. There's this narrative and I think in every single offer that people have a flawed mis misconception about or they heard from someone that, that this is the way it's going to go. My approach is, listen, I will share with you what I can do for you. I, I won't be able to do it all. But from what you told me, this is actually what you're looking for. They, a lot of times clients come to me and they tell me, I'm looking for X, Y, and Z. Great. That's that's wonderful that you think that, but you're actually looking for ABC. And, and a lot of times they look at me and they say, well, no, I, I don't want that. I said, well, let me let me just explain my thought process and you tell me if you think uh, if I'm right. And if I'm wrong, then you know what? I'll move on. And a lot of times after our conversation and we sit down and assess their current situation, they realize that they are looking for ABC and they didn't even know it existed. Mm. You know, that that's one of those things where a lot of times, it, and, I'm, and I'm not trying to say it from a negative connotation, it's just a lot of times I'm the expert in this field. This is what I do for a living. I don't do anything else except for my offer. I am studying to be the specialist for people to know in the marketplace, hey, if I'm looking for this type of offer, I'm gonna call Peter. And that to me is where I could come in and provide the solution to a breakdown that they may be dealing with. They had no idea that that was even an option. So that's, that's kind of my thought process on the customer's not always right. That's really great. I want to talk a little bit about Ambitious Adult and a little bit earlier as you were describing your journey and your early days, it sounds like you were what we might call an adult. We distinguish at Influence Ecology different states of mind. These are the states of mind, the titles. There's naivete, adult, ambitious adult, and despair. And you were talking about the early days, it sounds like you are very much an adult, as we would describe it. So can you do two things? Can you talk a little bit about what we mean by adult and, and how what you were doing is very much an adult? Of course. So the way influence ecology describes an adult is an individual who sits and accepts offers. They're not actually out there making active offers in the marketplace. An ambitious adult is someone who actually goes out and makes offers and invitations and requests in the marketplace. John, I think you said it spot on. 
I was an, an adult. I was sitting behind a desk. I was doing a lots of cold calls. I was waiting for people to make me the invitation, the offers, hoping that I was going to close a couple deals by doing so. You know, maybe cut, wrote a couple emails out and just waited for responses. And now <laughs> I'm actually out there actively making invitations, offers, and requests to my specific centers of influence, looking for the exact offer on what I'm trying to, to achieve in, in my transaction. What does life look like now that you're moving as an ambitious adult rather than an adult? What does a day look like compared to what it used to look like? Well, it's a lot more fun, let me tell you. <laughs> it's become very enjoyable to wake up in the morning and to actually enjoy doing what I do, speaking with the individuals and people and, and hearing what they're up to versus just kind of having the tables turn and sit and wait and have people come to me and talk to me about a problem. It was um, the perfect analogy for me to explain that is when I was an adult, one out of 10 offers were going to work in my, for my transaction. With me going out and actively making invitations and offers, not only do I get to choose, but I just increase my odds of actually making those invitations and offers to those specific customers, I would say probably eight out of 10. And usually the two that I usually end up losing, it's not because I lose because, you know, whatever reason, it's just, hey, competition is out there. There are people who offer very similar things that I do. But at the same time, I'm now seek, actively seeking types of people that I want to do business with versus having people come to me with what they're trying to do. Yeah, very good. All right, let's talk a little bit about the current. One of the things I loved about reading your, your notes was the notion that there's all of this stuff that we all hear out there, like work hard and it'll all turn out, or the customer is always right. These are these kinds of notions we hear, and we don't inspect them. We don't think of them as something to say, hey, I wonder if that's true. We just sort of follow along like lemmings. And so we, we talk a little bit about the, the current what are your thoughts about the current since you've been studying with us and any insight about that? It is a fascinating, fascinating tool. And when I say a tool, I pay attention to the current as I could relate it to my offer, to what's happening in the marketplace, how I could relate with clients. I was very, very naive. I used to, I'll never forget when I first started, I was under the impression that oh, I don't need the news. I don't want to pay attention to the news. It's out there. It's, it's not important to me. But what I soon realized is there are so many things that are happening on a daily basis that are driving how our economy works and how people actually think and how people are functioning amongst each other that it's very important to study it. And study not in the form of uh, an academic study, but just paying attention. So many things happen in the current that are driven by what we do today. And a lot of times there are certain things that I agree with, and then there's a lot of things that I question or disagree with. And I never used to think that way. Because it's so easy for us to hear, okay, we're in a presidential election and X, Y, Z said so and so. And all of a sudden everyone is out talking about what they just heard on the news. The question that I ask is, how factual is that statement? And what's the point of reference? And why is that even important? Who's the source of, of that information? And a lot of times when you start questioning that, those kinds of questions, people have no answer to it. And I'm, I, I still, to this day, I get sucked in by the current a lot of times. You know, I see these wonderful commercials for all these expensive new cars and things, and I'm like, man, it would be really nice to be driving that brand new S-Class. But I don't need an S-Class. Sure, one day maybe I'll, I'll buy myself one, but I don't need that right now and where I am in my career. That reminds me of a conversation you and I had where we had talked a little bit about how come we want what we want. Yeah. You know, one of the things we study in the current is this notion of what we want and why we want it. If I'm going to think accurately about the satisfaction of my own conditions of life, if I'm going to construct transactions to satisfy those conditions, it starts to ask the question, well, what do I want and how come I want that thing? or that life, or that experience. And when you investigate that, one of the things I think you're pointing to is, is we find that we want stuff and we just have no clue why. Or we have no clue <laughs> that we've, we've simply seen something and accepted it. Oh, that's how a wealthy person should live. That's the kind of car a 
a person ought to drive. If you're a good person, that's how you should talk and so forth. What have you experienced about all that in your own journey? Very early on, I was trying to keep up with the Joneses, even before I started with Influence Ecology. And what what I mean by that is I always felt that, all right, well, I, I need to look the part, even though I'm not the part at that time, I need to look the part. And it was all driven from this narrative of, well, if the way to be successful is to look the part and that's, and that's how you go. I very early in my career, I used to wear a suit and tie every single day to work when I started my banking career. And as the more successful and the more, the, the more I moved up in, in where I am in my career, I, I can't tell you how less of a suit and tie that I wear every single day. And so I started recognizing that it's, the things that we want, the things that we all feel that we need to to have in our lives, it comes from something around us or something we've seen. And I, when I started paying attention to that, I actually now, I have a rule of thumb. If I'm about to buy something of value or expensive, I actually let it linger for a few days, weeks, even a month before I actually make that purchase. Why? Because if by tomorrow I don't have the same feeling as I did today, well, there's really no point of purchasing it. And I don't really feel like spending money on something that I don't need. But if I still have that same feeling in 30 days, I really want this item. Okay, well, now I'm actually going to go investigate and see what do I want and, and how much am I willing to spend on it before I actually go do it. That was the other big thing that I learned was before you make a purchase, slow down, go, go investigate and see what you're willing to pay for it before you go buy it. It's just everything that was around me. It was the people I worked with at the time and and the people that I was hanging out with at certain points in times in my life that I thought that I, I needed those kinds of things. I didn't need it. I just wanted it. I thought they were great. <laughs> but right. I, as the older that I get, I, I'm realizing that it's I don't need a lot of things that I thought I used to. And, and I'm actually a lot happier because of it. I think it's fun to think about the transactions that we are in with those things. I remember, I think you were there. We had a, a live training at hotel in Chicago. And I I pointed to the drapes on the wall and I said something like, do you realize we've all accepted these drapes? Like somebody might accept or decline an invitation or one someone might accept or decline some judgment that we've all accepted or declined the way it is, that we've all accepted or declined the drapes. And mostly the environments that we are a part, we, we don't simply... We don't accept or decline in accordance with our aim. It's more like accept, 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 accept. And suddenly and slowly, the wants we have, the things we think we need, they are offered to us, they are suggested, and we move accordingly. And I know you've been thinking about this recently in your studies in our in our advanced programs. Anything you want to say about that and you know, what you've experienced? Yeah, it's so, (laughs) oh man, it's really easy to say yes. And it takes a little bit of time and effort to say no. And what I mean by that is we're in such a driven environment to always want to say yes to everything that we do. But if we do that all the time, and what I've, I've realized for myself is if that if I constantly do that, I will actually never have the time to satisfy other conditions of my life outside of work, spending it with my family, going on trips, doing whatever whatever I need to. But it's one of those things where I've I've now realized don't always say yes. And I'm guilty. I still to this day always want to say yes. There's always an opportunity. But I also realize that I can't do that because I'll never I'll never do the other things that I enjoy doing. And so yeah, it's we're, we always want to do everything. And I will say one last thing about that is the moment that we get crystal clear or clearer on our aims and our goals and what I think we're all trying to achieve for our own goals or our own aims, it's very easy then to take a look and say, okay, is this in line with what I'm trying to do? But if those are not clear, I think that you'll begin to start accepting any and every offer that starts coming towards you versus taking a step back and saying, okay, that's actually not working for me today. I, I need to say no. And I think clients and people and 
and human beings in, individually will respect you saying no versus then saying yes and then dragging it along for a long enough period of time that they're just going to get upset and frustrated with you. Yeah. All right. I want to give you the opportunity to uh, jump on your soapbox. Is there anything you'd like to, a- anything you've learned or anything that matters to you you'd like the soapbox about? You mean this whole conversation wasn't about that? Are you kidding me? <laughs> <laughs> Oh, God. Such a performer. Yes. No, no. I mean, but really, yeah, I mean, it's obviously you're passionate about everything you're talking about. I've been asking questions, but sometimes there are things people want to say that we haven't addressed. Anything you want to say that we haven't talked about yet? I was having such a good time. I don't I don't think there is anything else for me to say, John. I'm, I'm just thrilled that you guys even made the invitation for me to be on this podcast. I didn't think that I would ever be sitting here having this conversation with you. So thank you again for that. And um, I'm having fun. And that's, for me, that's the most important thing, having the fun and the freedom to go do what I love to do every single day. And that's go be with people, talk to people and, and go out there and, and just and just go do it. And I think another thing that's worth noting is that you're someone who, when you first started to study with Influence Ecology, you you know, you work for someone, you're employed in some situation, and some people um, come into our programs and say, well, gosh, I'm not a business owner, I don't have a lot of say in the the kind of income that I make, you know, I'm kind of, you know, there's certain limits and so forth. And you certainly proved that to be utterly false. Uh, Any notes on that? Yeah, so I, you know, (laughs) even working in a corporate environment, (laughs) what I will share about that is, you can hit the goals that you want to hit for yourself. It just may not be in the current offer or in the current company that you may be with, but there's definitely an opportunity. And early on in my career, I'll never forget, going back to what we mentioned earlier in this call, when Kirkland tapped me on the shoulder and said, hey, they're taking advantage of you. I didn't know what he meant by that. And then after being the top producer of an organization in one year, and then coming to find out that they were just not going to compensate me the money that I, I was intended to make. I realized what he meant by that. And once again, it was just for me, it was working in a corporate setting and having an opportunity to know that that money is available. I had to open up my eyes and go study what the um, incentive handbook said. And I figured it out and I went, went to town and, and had fun with it. It's really great. Well, Peter, as I said, it, it's been a pleasure to work with you for all these years. It's great to work with you in our in our programs you're in a group with me and we study together we talk on a weekly basis i enjoy that so very much and i thank you for being a great uh, customer of influence ecology it's been a blast thank you it's a pleasure I'm, i'm having a great time i selected today's guru talk to demonstrate some points about peter's journey our name influence ecology is an abstraction for the environments that influence us and how we might transact within those environments to live as we aspire to live. As with Peter, the idea, if you just work hard, everything will turn out fine, is an idea or narrative that gets passed around the social environment like a virus. We call this sea of narratives the current, the all-pervasive, popular, and predominant narratives of the social and marketplace environment. Unfortunately, these are the narratives on which most of the invitations and offers that are extended to us are based. Often these seductive fantasies reinforce the pervasive state of mind we describe as naivete. It perpetuates flawed, irresponsible, and often false notions such as Quote, the future is far away and we have all the time in the world or we can have anything we want if we just work hard enough for it and we deserve and are entitled to a good life and so forth and so forth. This is a talk from a webinar on how to study the current and hopefully not get swept up in it. So what is the current? The current is what we at Influence Ecology call the predominant narratives on which people base their thinking and their acting in any discourse or condition of life. You're going to hear me say that a lot throughout this presentation. And some of you will hear for the very first time discourse in a particular way or conditions of life in a particular way. The current is a narrative or a set of narratives that influence the thinking and the acting of individuals in any specific ecology.
So right off the bat, recognize that the current is a narrative or a set of narratives which affect our thinking and acting in any specific discourse or condition of life and occurs in a specific ecology. The current is a social phenomenon. If you're going to write anything down, this may be it right here. You don't make up the narratives that affect you by yourself. And you can use effect or affect in this particular sentence. You don't do it by yourself. You have inherited and continue to absorb them, those narratives, from your environments, and especially the environments that are consequential to you, and those are the ones where you transact. You don't make up the narratives that affect your thinking and your acting by yourself. The current is an ever-evolving flow of narratives. They were going on before you got here, and you could say that as a human being before you arrived by courtesy of your mother. Or you could say in any discourse that you enter. When you go into law school, when you go into a new position, there are several people in the ecology right now going into new positions of management. They've opened new businesses. You didn't make up the narratives that, that provide you the opportunity to exist in the environments of those discourses, those industries, those jobs, and you will not make up those that affect your thinking and your acting by yourself. You are in a constant ever-flowing current of narratives. They are an amalgamation of the past, those antecedent and historical narratives, the things on which all of your narratives are based. So they're an amalgamation of the past and the present activities, assessments, interpretations, claims, as well as the assertions, the predictions, the invitations, the offers, the possibilities about the future pertaining to a specific ecology. Why did we pick the current? be really great, John, if we had a camera that recorded the day that you and I talked about mm -hmm. why this is such a perfect word. But it, it was one of those times where we had picked another word. John, I don't even remember what the other word was. Uh, do you remember? Mm -hmm. uh, it's been so long, no, I don't remember. Wow. Mm -mm. And we started doing that thing that we do when we study, and that is we started picking the words apart. We have back then I would say I would say it would be appropriate to say we were vicious, but I would say certainly rigorous in why a word so important to put in the thirteen steps, what is the thing that we would label it? And when we found this word, we went every single description, every single part of the definitions in many different sources that we found pointed straight to exactly what we were talking about, that this thing we are calling the con conglomeration, the amalgamation of narratives, is passing into time and belongs to a time and age or period. It's popular in vogue, its meaning. It describes new something new or present. It's publicly reported or known. <laughs> that was, I, remember, I remember when we were... <laughs> I was blinking my eyes like toads in a hailstorm the day that we recognized these particular descriptions as adjectives of the current, passing from one to another, running or flowing. And then as a noun, it's a flow like a river current, and it, it's a direction, a velocity like an electric current. So the current exists it's a, in, as a narrative, it exists as descriptions of those things, and it is a thing that you can point to, like the current in a stream or a river. The narratives on which we dwell and on which we base many of the choices and decisions about how we ought, should, could, and do transact are pervasive, seductive, and constant in the current. All of the psychological, behavioral, the transactional fundamentals that we study and that you know have studied with us are all found in the narratives that compel us to think and act. They exist as stories in forms of conversations around the family dinner table, the office cooler, and especially in our popular media. The label that we've given to identify this narrative or set of narratives on which we base our thinking and acting is the current. How do you recognize the current? 
in every discourse, there is an aspect that relates to how its members, the members who are concerned with or sensitive about a discourse, about a, an industry, about a particular topic, et cetera, an organization, an ecology. In every discourse, there is an aspect that relates to how its members or those who are the most sensitive and concerned for that membership ought to think and act, they, how they ought to think and act. So the first indication that you are tuning into something is that it begins to agitate your biology in such a way that you may consider thinking and acting. As a result, every discourse has a history, tradition, generally accepted facts about what is real, what people should or ought to know about that discourse, how people should or ought or must behave about that discourse, and what it means to cooperate and exist together in harmony as an organization in that discourse. And if you're familiar with the branches of philosophy, and many of you who have keenly studied and know from our Fundamentals of Transaction program, I just described the branches of philosophy. So stories and narratives in the current rest on particular philosophies. People are hungry for learning. We're on a learning journey, and they are starving to death for an articulated philosophy or a way of thinking that makes sense to them. Adults in the marketplace are always open to a narrative that's more powerful than the one they hold currently to take care of their conditions of life. So right away, as you look to study and to learn the stories, the narratives, the positions that are being perpetuated and attempting to seduce and, and have us comply with all of the, the transactional fundamentals, Listen to the philosophy and recognize that most people in the marketplace are moving in, na in naivete, are at best as adults starving to death to be informed about how to think and how to act in order to take care of themselves and their conditions of life. The current is a constant attempt to compel people to think and act a certain way. And this is why you must learn to recognize it and think accurately before you act. Given that the fundamental activity of human beings is to learn how best to satisfy their conditions of life, it's safe to assert that when uh, what people are saying and doing, especially as they attempt to transact, is either attempting to learn or attempting to compel others to learn what they think and what they know. Now, we've already established in a very quick survey that the attempt to demonstrate what they think they know is a pervasive human quality. People think they know all kinds of things that they simply do not know and cannot prove. Mostly what people do in our experience, especially given the test, the sociological laboratory that John and I have the opportunity to witness and observe day in and day out, have been doing it for a long time now with hundreds and hundreds of people consistently in a very rigorous structure, our intent being and our commitment to impact and agitate certain transactional behavior, what we will tell you is what people tend to do is they tend to have an insight, and it's usually about some shortcut for handling a condition of life. And then they quickly, almost automatically, construct a narrative in the form of a good idea, we call it, and depending on their personality and transactional behavior, they move accordingly with it, with others. People think they know all kinds of things. People think that they know all kinds of things that they simply do not know. If you'd like to know more about influence ecology and our approach, check out our webinar, Ambitious Living, The Eight Defining Principles. The webinar is available globally. We'll teach you the core principles practiced by the most successful and effective men and women we know. This webinar is for those who aspire to an influential life that provides measurable satisfaction for themselves, their family, and their organizations. This webinar is specifically designed for those who don't want to sacrifice a well-balanced life for superior financial rewards. They want it all. To find out more, you can find the link in the show notes for this podcast at influenceecology.com forward slash podcast. That's influenceecology.com forward slash podcast. 
or in the U.S. or Canada, you can text the word AMBITION to 805-262-9008, and we'll send the registration link right to your mobile phone. Again, text the word AMBITION to 805-262-9008. Also in our show notes, you'll find all the links to websites, books, or special downloads mentioned in this podcast. In our next episode, you'll hear an interview with Sean Gillespie, a successful Denver, Colorado artist who creates award-winning abstract sculptures and offers great lessons about impacting the indifference of the marketplace. Initially, going to a show, putting your stuff up on the wall, the best you got within you, right? The best stuff you could come up with is up there on the wall. It's synonymous with you. And to watch people just kind of shuffle by, (laughs) just hundreds (laughs) and hundreds and hundreds of people just shuffle by. <laughs> it's, it's and your soul uh, is hanging out for all to see. <laughs> yes, and honor and just the wilting power of that over time, and then you multiply that by like a three, four day show. Yeah, it's tough, and it's not for the faint of heart. If you enjoyed this episode and would like to share it with others, you can find it and share it from our website at influenceecology.com. You can also find us on iTunes to subscribe. We'd love to know what you think, so please take a moment and offer us a review. Thank you for another great episode of the Influence Ecology podcast. I'm your host, John Patterson. I'd like to thank our guest for a great interview. In our show notes, you'll find links to connect with them and all the links to websites, books, or special downloads mentioned in this podcast. This podcast is made possible by the brilliant work of the Influence Ecology staff, mentors, and members around the world. We're grateful for co-founder Kirkland Tibbles and his 30-plus years of specialized study and practice that make all this possible. And finally, thanks to our producer, Jason Kelly. Editing and music by Bellringer Productions, music supervisors, Dashley LeCorps, and Marcus Bell.